0: those who are unfamiliar with where we have been and where we're going, we're in the book of Galatians. That's going to be what, we, what carries us all the way through Easter. And um, we have finished first chapters 1 and 2, and our reading this morning is chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So you can join me there as I read uh, Galatians 3, 1 through 14, which kind of gets into the meat of Paul's argument about faith and justification. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Father, we need you this morning to make these truths clear. We need you to bring resolution and conviction in our hearts regarding Jesus and who he is. We need to see ways we too might believe a false gospel and correct even us. We might be believing or acting out of step with what is true. And do this, God, because you care about your reputation. You care how we reflect you. Do this so that we, Genesis Community Church, can be built up more fully, do this because we need it, because nothing else satisfies, we pray it in Christ's name, amen. Well, like I said uh, last week and weeks prior, we have, we're a baseball, my kids play baseball, uh, so you get baseball illustrations and basketball illustrations and sports illustrations, because that's just how it goes. Um. So Here we go. Imagine you're a coach. And there's a team that you have invested a big part of your life in. And it took a while to get them to play together. But finally, they are playing together. The team has different backgrounds, different talents, different feelings. For all the players on your team, but they came together. And it was awesome the passion with which they played, the joy with which they played, all together, working together. There's really nothing you could have done to make it any better. It was perfect. You just watched them play, and you were amazed. In time, like any coach does, they often move on. They move on. Hopefully they're not fired, but they move on. You had to leave. You love your team, but it's time to go. But a few years go by, and you hear that the team that you had coached has a lot of players on it that you remember, and they'll be in town, which is always fun, right? Be in a town. They're playing a game nearby. Relationships between coaches and players are always special. If you hear people talk about the coaches that they've had, like, or teachers that they've had, there's always something about those environments. And people can often point to a coach or a teacher or just some other person who is a significant influence. Mom and dad are like fifth and sixth on the list. It's always other people. It's a special relationship. And so, of course, you want to go see the team. You want to see them play. You're excited about what's going to come. So you get to the arena, and the atmosphere is as expected. It's electric. Music's going. Energy's there. Everyone's excited, like, this is going to be awesome. So, right, opponents always go first. Uh. And you like this part because this is where you get to boo the opponents. If you ever been like to do a college game, you get a newspaper out and you shake it like you're not paying attention, right? You just kind of do this and they name the team, shake it out. And then after they name every player, you say words after that uh, to let them know just how you feel about their talent. But then there's a problem. Everyone who's being called from the opponent's team is your team. And you're like, wait a second. Wait, I came here to see, no, that's not how this works. Who are these guys? You know every player that's there. You've seen them, you've followed them, but now, different coach, different playbook, different rules, and you know they're doomed. There's no way that this team is going to be able to win. They have totally changed their strategy. Well, much more significant than any game, it was just a game, coaching strategies change, is that when it comes to church, it doesn't work that way. When it comes to who Jesus is, you don't build upon it. You don't adjust it. You don't say, oh, well, no, this is what it's really like. You know, we're going we're gonna to adjust Jesus a little bit. We're going to change the playbook. We're going to change the rules because that, then we can play better. But what did the Galatians do? They changed their jerseys. They changed the playbook. They changed everything about how this is supposed to work. This isn't what Paul had taught them. That's why he was so concerned about it. This isn't what they had seen. This is what they had done. This isn't what they knew. Paul preached to them Christ crucified. If you want to be made right with God, if you want to be Uh, Holy, clean, the entire part of your life, secure in God, then you must put faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for your sins. Galatians, in a sense, is like the letter that the coach wrote. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you running this way? And you can hear it as he begins to address in chapter 3. Oh, foolish. How did you... How did you start playing this way? You can't play this way. You started like this. You can't move over here. It's not the same game. So in a sense Paul's writing his team and he's telling them this is not how it works. This is not how salvation works. This isn't how you can find it. Galatians 3:1 through 5:12. You just want to know that. 3, 1 through 5, 12 kind of make up the meat of the argument of Galatians. First two chapters, Paul spends defending his message and even himself. Then he gets into explaining how justification by faith works. It moves to implications of that. We start talking about the faith that he finished out, right, at the end of chapter 2. But in order to understand what's going on here, we actually have to go back in time. We have to get, you know, we're already going back in time to like first century. Now we have to go back past that. We're going like 4,000 years back in time to understand why Paul is making the argument that he's making about the ridiculous notion that you can change the rules mid game, that it doesn't work. So we're going to see this Abraham's call and God's work in the world. We cannot miss this part. Because this is like a thread for us, right? We've got to go to Genesis 12 to understand Galatians 3. So we're going to go way back in time. Now, Genesis 12 is before, chronologically, before there was a nation of Israel. It's Before that. It's God giving a promise to a Gentile. Abraham and his family weren't Israelites. We might think that they were Israelites. Abraham came before Israel, but God gave a promise through him. They were idol worshipers, but God plucked them from their idolatry. That's how he saves, removing us from our idolatry. So we have to go to Abraham's call and God's work in the world, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses. I'm going to give you really two parts of Genesis, and then we can go back to Galatians 3 to make sure we understand how this works. So, Genesis chapter 12 is the call of Abraham, who at that time was called Abram. His name changes a little later. And we get to see God coming to us when we did not even know That's what he does in Abram in this moment. So Genesis 12, starting in verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. There it is, right? I'm not there yet. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, in this passage, God speaking to Abram, we have a call and a promise. The call is to go, and the promise is that there will be land, a nation, a blessing, and that this blessing is going to go through you. All the nations of the earth, the world, shall be blessed. We know the song, Father Abraham had many sons, right? If you know that song from Sunday school, yeah, you know. Uh, so like, we, we get it, right? And we start, we start doing our moves. So we understand how Father Abraham works, what well, came from Genesis 12. In fact, even though we just think of it as a kid's song, uh, the theology of that song is abundantly true. Genesis 12 to Galatians 3, this is how it works. This is why we can say, I am one of them and so are you. So the whole reason that we can even sing that song is because of what is being developed here in Galatians three, as we see that through this promise comes something unique. So Genesis 12: 1 through3, so Abraham gets up and goes, and then in Genesis 15:6, we have this line, "And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, as being made right." Abraham believed what was said believe what was revealed, and it was counted to him as being made right. So we have a call, a promise, trust in that promise, and that trust declared, made Abraham right before God. Now we could, we could go much more into how all of this works, but for the sake of Genesis, uh, Galatians chapter 3, we don't necessarily need to, but you could look at the testing that comes in Genesis chapter 22. It's also Abraham's obedience that was praised in 26.5. The nation of Israel comes on the scene after Abraham over the centuries and continues on, the Nation's nation is still there even now, but into the time of Jesus, who came from Abraham. Abraham is a mark of faithfulness, obedience, and blessing. But it's interesting because at about the time that uh, Paul was doing what he was doing, it was less his faith that was give, people were paying attention to and more his obedience that people were paying attention to. Now, obedience is important. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's a a thing that is spoken. So obedience is an important part of living in relationship with God. But the obedience became emphasized, and the faith got lost. In fact, if you read uh, Douglas Moo say this, uh, at the time of Jesus, the time of these first century churches, this is what he would say, first century Judaism generally focused on Abraham's obedience and especially the obedience he so memorably revealed when God tested him by calling him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. On the basis of Genesis six five, Jewish interpreters also viewed Abraham's obedience as, a direct, uh, as directed to the law itself. The agitators, that's what he calls uh, the Judaizers, were probably using this view of Abraham to argue that righteousness was tied to doing the law. Well, of course, you know, look at the life of Abraham. Father Abraham many sons. I am one of them, and so are you by doing the law. Look how obedient he was. And it's very clear that Abraham, in many instances, was obedient. But as we get to Galatians 3, Paul is going to emphasize Abraham's faith so that he can make the argument about our faith. This is what he says verses 3 1 through 6. Is that if you're moving from faith, you're moving from Jesus. End of story. That if faith stops becoming the dominant way, you play the game, you have moved on from Jesus, something has happened. Verses 3, 1 through 6, starting in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, meaning we preached him to you. He was portrayed as such. You heard how he came and he lived, though the Galatians didn't see Jesus. He was proclaimed to you as such. Let me ask you this, and he gets into these questions, which I love. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So verse 1. The Galatians have been bewitched. Not like the TV show. Been bewitched. It isn't just a passing statement. You might think it's a passing statement, but the language there is rather strong. I would say like this. Paul is saying the Galatians have been influenced by a spiritual force that is leading them astray. It's not just a matter of going, well, well, you can get it. It's just a little tweak. Say, like, no. No, it's demonic. You're giving yourselves over to a force other than God in believing this message. Now, the spiritual battle that goes on for the souls of men and women is not generally something that uh, many Protestants talk about. It's not something that we, we are really privy to. In fact, it kind of feels as spooky. The word. Like, That's weird. I don't get it. But the battle that wages for the souls of men, women, and children is significant and real. That's why there are so many false gospels trying to lead people astray, getting them to be distracted from God receiving the glory and saving sinners like you and me. Who has bewitched you? How have you given yourself over to this? You start wandering and you start adding to Jesus, and you have been duped by demons, you join forces with darkness. It's not just a bruise on the gospel message. It is a different gospel message. Their eyes have looked toward a different source for life, even though they had seen Jesus. what did he use next? It was before your eyes. The idea of bewitching is looking somewhere else. It was before your eyes that this was proclaimed, this was preached. You heard it. So from this point, Paul goes to a round of questions. These are kind of rhetorical questions. They have clear responses. But he's essentially saying this. We can't change how we operate in Jesus and expect good things to come from it. So we'll just go through the questions. Question one. Did you receive the Spirit? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer, faith. I receive the Spirit by works of the law. Question two, are you so foolish? Answer, currently, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm acting foolishly. Question three, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Answer, absolutely not. You're not perfected by the flesh. I need to stop there for a second. Hear me out. So many of us erroneously believe that God starts us in the relationship with Him, but we keep us in the relationship with Him. Okay, so, so God sets us in a direction, but we have to keep that direction going because you know, God's like, well, I got you started. You should just keep moving in that direction not how it works. If that were the case, then we would be begun in our walk with the Lord by the Spirit, that He would begin the work, but we would feel that it must be perfected by the flesh. A proper understanding of what Jesus has done for you and me would say that God begins this work, God sustains this work, and God ends this work. I don't then jump into the middle and go, well, i got to really work, real I gotta work hard. I remember my mentor one time saying it to me. He goes, you can't have a perspective that says, God saves me, but I keep me. It doesn't work. So having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? As he's answering this question, you would hope the Galatians are like, oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. We can't do that. That's what he's trying to do. He's just giving them a raise. Like, like, you can't do this. Questions four, did you suffer, assuming they're persecution, did you suffer in vain? His answer is, I certainly hope not. And, and throughout this, and you might argue with me on it, but I do think Paul has a hope and an expectation that the Galatians belong to the Lord. He's trying to move them back. Don't we all need to be moved back at times somebody has to correct you or adjust it? So Paul's not going, hey guys, come on, get with it, uh, you know. If, because if not careful, you preach Galatians and it sounds like you're jumping in and out of salvation. Right? Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you better be careful or else you're going to kind of move over past salvation. The repercussions of preaching a false gospel are that you don't believe who Jesus actually is. But I think even, and how Paul says this, and how Paul says this, if indeed it was in vain, assumes a little bit of, I don't think it was, guys. I think you knew, I think you knew and you're, and, you're giving, and you're giving yourself over right now to a wrong influence. And most of us have been there. Hey, don't you know better? Yeah. Yeah, I do. The implications though, think about it as a church lives its life, the implications of a false gospel are that people hear a false message. That's so why you always have to be going back to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus. Uh, Because it is the the desire of the flesh to add to Jesus so that we feel better about what we do. It's the desire of the flesh to go, oh, well, we will also smile a lot and live in a house like this and give like this so that we will be able to achieve or receive God's blessing. Because if not, then we won't get it. that's That's not how it works. If every time you operated like that and somehow your salvation got undone, you would be totally missing how the Lord saves and the Lord sustains. Why we need to keep going back to Him as the source for our understanding of salvation and the sustainer. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're not the author and perfecter of our faith. We can't perfect our faith. Then, question five Does the Spirit who worked among you, miracles, power, does this happen by faith or by the law? Answer by faith. Everything happens by faith, not by work. Not by you, not by the flesh. Everything happens because of faith in what God has done for you. So then he ends by quoting again Genesis 15, 6. It was Abraham's faith that made him righteous. Don't listen to the Judaizers like, oh yeah, but he was also super obedient. Like that, that comes, we talk about obedience. But let's not miss what actually makes us right with God. Believing God. Believing God. And then he gets to this, which is the cool part, as we think about how Genesis 12 applies to Genesis Community Church. It kind of becomes neat as he moves into the next part of his argument. He says this, faith makes anyone a child of Abraham. Remember an interaction that Jesus had with some uh, religious leaders who were like, we have Abraham as our father. And Jesus was like, big whoop. God could turn these rocks into children of Abraham. He could make anybody a child of Abraham. And they were indignant. Why? Because they belonged to a lineage that made them feel particularly special. Faith makes anyone a child of Abraham. So in Louisiana, sports in Louisiana jokes, that's what you get from me. It's a famous political family. You may know their name. They're called the Longs. The Longs are a famous political family in Louisiana. You might say infamous, not famous. Either way you take it, it's totally fair. Some Longs were upright. Others might not have been as much. But they were all Longs. Whether you were a governor who was assassinated, a lieutenant governor, a U.S. senator, state senator, state representative, U.S. representative, a delegate, or a mayor, these were all Longs. The Long family had all of these people. If you meet somebody in Louisiana whose last name is Long, it's kind of funny. You ask them, hey, any relation to Huey? Huey P. Long? Like, is that any relation to the Long family? And this is funny because a good friend of mine, as I was talking with him about this, he goes, oh, everyone claims it. Even if you have no relationship, there's a law firm that claims relationship." Because at some point in time, back in the day, one of the Long family was there briefly. And so you're like, Long Law Firm, right? Like, like, however it might be, like, yeah, that's how how it might work. So you just call yourself, like, I could move in and go, like, like Long Community Church, whatever you might do, right? Like, the name is one that you want to stretch and get everything that you possibly can out of it, which makes sense. I'm going to get a cease and desist now from the law firm. Here's what the Judaizers did. They claimed Abraham. They claimed him without actually being a part of him. They claimed it because of their heritage, because of their knowledge, maybe because of their expertise in the law. They claimed him, but they were not him. They were not of him. And this is where Paul begins to make the argument for us that we heard Jesus make when Jesus was on this earth talking to religious leaders who felt like it was so important to claim the name. They didn't carry the requirement, which was faith. So follow again in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, those are us, those who are non-Jews, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, he says, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Simply put, God already said in Genesis 12-3 that the nations would be blessed through Abraham. So, there's no need to worry about actually trying to get in through some other way. Because getting in through other means doesn't work. Works of the law, it'll make you a child of Abraham. There's no other way to claim it but through faith. So, true, Abraham was obedient. But he was not right with God. His relationship with God was not held together because of his obedience, he was right because of his faith. There are probably those, even in this room this morning, who think they cannot get to God or with God because they don't have the lineage. They don't have the name. Some people like to go, oh, my, you know, I was, my dad was a pastor and his dad was a pastor and his dad was a pastor and his dad was a pastor and my whole family's done ministry forever. It doesn't matter. Jesus might say something like, God can make ministers come from wherever. Wherever. He can raise them up from wherever. It's not your lineage. It doesn't do it. So those who think that they don't have the knowledge, they're embarrassed because they perhaps like things that they know they shouldn't. They worry that they've buried themselves too deeply in their sins. But that's not the case. It's just not the case. You become a child of Abraham, which, as we get into chapter 4, we realize actually makes us a child of God. We see that through faith, we become children of Abraham. Faith in the work of Jesus, that he died for you, that his sacrifice was sufficient. Nothing else saves. It's not a name you claim. In that connection to Abraham. Oh, man, we got it together because we have Abraham. He goes, it doesn't work. And How do you know? And this gets pretty cool. Faith makes anyone a child of Abraham, but then also faith makes anyone a recipient of the Holy Spirit. Anyone. How do we know we are children of Abraham? Would be maybe a question you would ask. Well, how do we know? Well, you have faith. And what happens then? Like, is there some kind of way? And what Paul says is it's the Spirit of Christ in you, that is the blessing of Abraham, that marks you as his. That's what he actually says. So verses 10 through 14, there's a lot of Old Testament passages that he is uh, quoting here. But he lays out a specific way of thinking. He says this in verse 10, For all who rely or depend upon work, rule-keeping, are under a curse. For it's written... Curses is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified, made right before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, great. Verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, and there's a weird quote here, the one who does them shall live by them. We're going to get to that. Then he says in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Curses." Everyone who is hanged on a tree, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, think Genesis 12, 3, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Christ, through Christ, the blessing of Abraham comes to us so that in order that we might receive the promised spirit which marks us as the family. So there are numerous verses cited. I'm going to kind of run through those really quickly. If you have kind of a paper Bible or, you know, you have your phone, you can just kind of hold your thumb over it and it's going to tell you the verses so you look real smart when you're in a Bible study. Whatever might happen, here they go. Verse 10 says this. You have to obey the whole law, all of it. Cursed is anyone who does not abide by all the things written. So laws here, you better do it all, or else you have curse. That's a quote from Deuteronomy twenty-seven twenty-six. It seems a weird way to start, doesn't it, as you're trying to encourage the Gentiles in their faith, or encourage the Galatians in their faith. You're cursed if you don't do all the things written in the law. Thanks, Paul. But he already knows this. You can't. You can't do all the things written in the law. It's impossible. I love one of the lines in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, where Peter's talking, and he's like, hey, let's be honest. We can't even do all the things written in the law, and we're good Jews. How in the world do we think a Gentile is going to keep up with all the things written in the law? We can't do it. The ones with the closest access can't do it. How in the world are others going to be able to do it? Paul knows this argument. He was there to hear Peter even say that. He was in the room, the room where it happened. So he says this, verse 11, If that's the case, no one is justified before God because of the law. You can't. Because, quoting Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. You don't live by law, you live by faith. He's going into the Old Testament to argue, because you have to think about it, there's no New Testament yet. He's not arguing from Galatians, because he's writing Galatians. (laughs) So he's arguing from their scriptures to go, look, this is consistent. It's not like the the name of the game changes, that somehow it doesn't become faith anymore. It's always been faith. That's what saves. So he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. Now, he goes back, taking the idea of faith, he says, hey, the law isn't from faith, because, citing Leviticus 18.5, you live and die by the law. This is what I would say. Um, And you've got to be real sure you hear me when I say this. Because I'm really only saying one thing, but I'm going to say the word too. You could totally be saved outside of Jesus Christ if you could follow the whole law. Okay? There are are two ways to be saved. 100% obedience to the law or faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. And what Paul is saying here is, you can't do it. You can't do the law part, guys. No one can. So, you're left with one option. Faith. You're not going to get there any other way. If there were some ability to perfectly obey at every single stop and at every single turn, the law, then, you know, right on in, get ushered in, you get a front row seat to heaven. Unfortunately, no one can. No one can. So Paul is basically going by quoting this, if you're going to go ahead and try and live by the law, good luck, but you better do all of it. Just go ahead and do all of it. If you want to go into this Judaizer way of thinking, knock it all out, because that's your only shot. 100% or nothing. You don't get partial credit. So then verse 13. We are redeemed from the curse that comes from not being able to fulfill, obey the law. We are redeemed from what hangs over us, because the law in sights revealed shows us sinfulness. Even us Gentiles who don't have the Mosaic law wasn't given down to us. even us Gentiles recognize that we can't keep even rules, even easy rules. like, don't touch wet paint. Like well, how wet is it? Oh, real wet. The moment, the moment we hear a don't, our flesh goes, you should try it. You should see. And this started, I mean, when did it start? Back in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. God said we shouldn't do that. Well, did He really? And you go, well, I mean, I could, maybe He did say it. Yeah, He said it. Let's go ahead and eat it. And so the moment... Even though, I would guess, most of you are absolutely uninterested in the Mosaic Law. And I don't mean that in a bad way. like It's just not where you've lived. It's not what you've known. You're Gentiles. So you're not sitting there going, you know what, Mosaic Law, let's go ahead and let's get up and let's, let's, let's recite our Mosaic Laws today, all 600 whatever of them. You too know, man, I just can't keep up. If I had to follow one law, don't speed Your laughter tips your hand. Your flesh justifies at every single moment why you are the exception to law-keeping. You go, we don't really need that law. That's a silly law. I don't understand why it exists. As if somehow you become the authority on God. Well, God, let me tell you why that was a bad call. No. No, 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 no. Don't do that. So Christ redeemed us because two things. Though perfect in giving perfect obedience to the Mosaic law, he actually took on the curse that we received. So Paul's making a pretty specific argument here, right? There's one person who obeyed the law perfectly. The Son of God. But he took the curse that we got on himself. And he quotes Deuteronomy twenty one twenty three. Curses anybody who hangs on a tree. So the curse moves. Don't miss this. Jesus takes on the curse. The phrase you might hear is He becomes our substitute. He becomes our substitute. Our curse becomes His curse so that we might receive God's blessing and promise. In other words, go ahead and try and save yourselves by the law. If you want to do that, Galatians, go for it. But play by all its rules, if that's what you want to do. Only one person has stood up under the requirements and demands of the law. And it was Jesus, Son of God. His obedience to the law is now given to us through faith. His obedience is applied to us. This is why the argument in Galatians 4 becomes so important. You become sons. You become daughters. You become God's family. Not because you did something, but because what Jesus did is now applied to you. Through faith. You get the divine name change. And then what happens? I love how Paul ends. Now, because of our position in Christ, being in Him, All people are able to receive the blessing that was spoken to Abraham 4,000 years ago. Planned in God's mind for all eternity. 4,000 years ago when he spoke Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, now that it was called Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3 then, 4,000 years ago he promised something. In you, through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And here we are able to receive that blessing because of Jesus who came from Abraham. We then receive the Spirit of Christ. Again, that argument becomes more pronounced in the first part of chapter 4. That identifies, marks us with Him forever. So now you can hear why Paul cares so deeply about this church and its reputation, how it's operating, and what it's teaching, and what it's giving itself over to. And so it's that little bit of of time, and he starts asking these questions in verses 3 through 9, or 3 through 8, whatever it might be. He says this, run as you were called. God brought you here through faith. Don't then try to divert and change the game. As tempting as it might feel to create hoops. To get people to jump and to operate and move in different ways. As tempting as it might feel to do that. This feels natural to give people requirements. We have to keep going back to what Jesus has said. The requirement is faith. The end. And we so quickly want to move to faith and just stop being so annoying. Dress differently. Talk differently. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't think like that. We want to get to those things because God has potentially, and I only say potentially because I don't really know, work them out in our hearts. And thus we think it's so important to apply it right away. This is why you can be, sometimes, don't don't get me wrong, you can be sympathetic towards a Judaizer. Because you are one. You can be sympathetic towards these folks because they're going, no, 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 Jesus is great. But let's just be real sure that we prove it. Let's be real sure that we mean it. And so let's, let's show the world we mean it by doing something other than faith? Doesn't work. That's why this argument is so important for us as we think about our own walk with the Lord. It's why it's so important we think about discipline or spiritual spiritual disciplines or our obedience and where we obey and how we obey and how we apply the scripture. It's why it's so important. Because it's really, you may not know, or I I may not know observationally what is obedience and what is you thinking you're gaining God's favor. I may not know that when I look at you. That's why you always have to be going back to the source, the root. what's going on, how you're operating what if we have changed? I would say this what if we have changed the playbook or we're adding to it what if that's been something that we've done and we don't even know turn to Jesus the one who won't go yeah but you better also be real bad about it for a long time not going to do that. Turn to Jesus. There's no way to correct your misstep than through faith. There's no way to change than the way that he has stated, through faith. He knows our weakness. He forgives our weakness. In Jesus, we stand secure and forgiven. We delight in mercy and we love truth. We know the weight of It is impossible to stand up under a rule-keeping, rule-following to gain God's favor. So we just need to hand our hearts over to Jesus and live. Otherwise, we're going to be crushed.